You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Tonight we are continuing our study titled The Great Doctrines of Our Faith and Their Relevance for Our Lives. Uh, I don't want this just to be kind of dry doctrinal talk. I don't want this to feel like a seminary classroom. I want us to, to think about these doctrinal realities and why they are so important and why they are so precious to us as believers in Christ. And we've talked about the doctrine of God. We've talked about the doctrine of Revelation. We've talked about uh, the doctrine of Christ. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about, we talk about the doctrine of humanity. Tonight we're going to talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I read a book years ago by an author and... The, the title was Forgotten God, Forgotten God. And the title implies what is a reality in many of our churches. We just don't talk enough about the, the person work of the Holy Spirit. We don't think enough about how the Holy Spirit is operative in our churches, in our lives. So it's very important we understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to kind of introduce the doctrine tonight. Next week we'll get a little bit more specific talking about the Holy Spirit but I'm excited to, to talk about the, the, the third person of the Trinity. So you can go and open your Bible to Acts chapter 13. That's where we will begin. Acts chapter 13. And let me just breathe a prayer for our time together tonight. Father, as we study the Holy Spirit tonight, I'm reminded of that great hymn of the faith that says, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And Lord, as we study your word, we know it will be in vain if you do not move in our hearts, give us understanding, and give us, Lord, wherewithal to respond to these truths. Lord, have your way in our midst. Teach us, uh, encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to basically answer two questions tonight concerning the Holy Spirit. Question number one is this, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? You might call this Holy Spirit 101, just kind of, a, kind of an overview of who the Holy Spirit is. And the first answer to that question is, the Holy Spirit is a person, is a person. I didn't say a human, he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that there's one God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and this is important because we, we, we use language that misses it when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. Let me say that again. Holy Spirit's not an it, Holy Spirit is a he. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit like it's like he's an impersonal force, like just some kind of energy kind of floating in our lives and floating through our churches, kind of this, kind of this energy force that we need to tap into. The Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is a he. He's the third person of the Trinity. Let me show you how there are verses that speak of the Holy Spirit having 
personality that makes him a distinct person, distinct from the Father and the Son. First of all, he refers to himself as a person. Look what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Let's, let's start in verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Love this passage. This is the church in Antioch. They were a, they were a mission-sending church. Every time you see Antioch, they're sending people out. And it says... They were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, who said? Holy Spirit said. How did he say it? We don't know. Doesn't say. Audible voice? We don't know. Did he write it on the wall? We, I mean, we don't know. But it says the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Notice there, he's referring to himself as a person. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, hopefully, by this time, as we have um, cast vision as to our, our focus as a church, we, we want to be a church that uh, abides in Christ and advances the gospel. And the way we advance the gospel is by making disciples. Uh, you've heard me quote the Great Commission many times that Jesus, before he ascended to the Father, said, uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, more on that in just a moment, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. So that commission teaches us that every Christian is to be about disciple-making. Not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just church planters. Every Christian is to be about disciple-making. So that's the umbrella. That's our mission. Every single one of us have that mission. Now, the Spirit of God gives us our individual assignment under that umbrella. Here in Acts 13, he gives Saul and Barnabas an individual assignment. You're going to make disciples, and you're going to make disciples by being sent out. And so in a local church, God sends some out and tells them to go. He leaves others to support, to encourage, to pray, to, to nurture, uh, to hold the rope. As Andrew Fuller said when William Carey sailed off to India, he said, you go down in the hole, we will hold the rope for you. We will support you as you go. And William Carey was the father of the modern missions movement. And so the Holy Spirit gives us our individual assignment under the umbrella of the Great Commission. My assignment is to be a pastor of a local church that mobilizes Christians uh, for the Great Commission. That's, that's my specific assignment that the Spirit led me into. You have an assignment as well. You, you, you may be retired. You may have a job. You may be a stay-at-home mom. You, there's all kinds of, 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 of life situations right here in this room. Whatever your life situation is, the Spirit wants to guide you into how to make disciples in the midst of that situation. Your, he wants to give you your individual assignment, how you leverage where you are in life for the Great Commission. Does that make sense? So we need Great Commission bankers, and we need Great Commission nurses, and we need Great Commission teachers, and we need Great Commission principals, we need Great Commission stay-at-home moms, we need Great Commission football coaches. We, 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 we all are living as Christians under the umbrella of the Great Commission, and the Spirit gives us our individual assignment just like he gave the assignment to Paul and Barnabas. Now, that was all extra. I didn't mean to say all that, but I, th I, th I just wanted to tell you that. This is important stuff. But he refers to himself here as a person. You can read the Acts 10 passage at a later 
time. Secondly, Jesus refers to him as a person. Jesus refers to him as a person. Look over in John, right before Acts, John 15. Jesus has much to say about the Holy Spirit before he is betrayed and arrested and crucified, buried and risen. And in John chapter 15, look what he says in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, it will bear witness about me. Is that what it says? What's it say? He. It's a person. He will bear witness about me. So Jesus refers to him as a person. Same thing over in John 16. Also, we know that the the Holy Spirit is a person, has personality by the fact he has emotions. Over in Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know it's possible to grieve God's heart? It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit with the way that we live our lives. And we don't want to do that. So Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But that verse speaks of emotions. Grieving is an emotion. Sadness or sorrow over someone failing to walk with him and talk with him creates this emotion of grief in the Holy Spirit's life. And so he has emotions. Persons have emotions. Impersonal energy fields don't have emotions. All right, This is not karma. All right, This is not, uh, you know... Uh, Energy from the the trees. This this is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He has emotions. And then also he has a will. Over in 1 Corinthians 12. You don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 12, we'll talk about this later, is when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to the church. So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has given you a charismata, a grace gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift gift that they are supposed to employ in service of the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the Holy Spirit, listen to this, distributes individual gifts just as He wills. It's His will that causes Him to distribute different gifts to different people. So uh, the, 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 the function of having a will is a function of personhood. He has emotions. He has a will. Uh, he is a person. So I hope you've seen here, Holy Spirit is, is not an impersonal, you know, a lot of times we get our theology from places like Star Wars. You know, may the force be with you, right? It's kind of just energy, power in the universe. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. Now I would say it like this. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father. How do we know that? Well, He has divine attributes. There are attributes that the Holy Spirit is uh, is characterized by that that only belong to God. For example, in Psalm 139-7, He is said to have the attribute of omnipresence. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? In other words, the spirit is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. Uh, with four kids and a busy life, I get frustrated by my ability to be only one place at one time. It frustrates me. It really does. 
I'll be at one sporting event and another kid's playing on the other side of town at another sporting event, and it's frustrating to me. I'm limited. I'm finite. I am a human. The Holy Spirit is God. He is omnipresent. Only God can claim omnipresence, right? Secondly, he is um, given the attribute uh, of omniscience, knowing everything. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 10 and uh, 11. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says about the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, everything, even the depths of God. For knows a person's thoughts, except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so it's saying there that the Spirit knows all the thoughts of God the Father. And so if he knows all the thoughts of God the Father, that's... All the thoughts. That's, that's omniscience. He, he knows everything. He is omniscient. Third, the Spirit uh, is involved in creation as the third person of the Trinity. First Corinthians, I mean, sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit is hovering. Remember, the, the earth was formless and void. The, the Spirit was hovering, ready to apply His power to, the, to, to the, the created order, to bring it into order. Um, listen to what it says over in Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. Speaking there of, of, uh, of the animals on the earth. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. You renew the face of the ground. So the spirit is involved in the creation of Everything. He is creator. Only God creates. Uh, also, the Spirit's called eternal over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. He's listed as the eternal Spirit. And, and that verse is interesting. This is another sermon for another day. But you think about Jesus on the cross. Second person of the Trinity. He's on the cross bearing the sins of the world. And God the Father is in heaven pouring out His wrath on His Son. Who's taking our place, taking our punishment. That's called the substitutionary atonement of Christ. God the Father pouring out his wrath on God the Son. You might say, where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit in all of that? He's not mentioned uh, in in the gospel narratives. But Hebrews 9.14 says that it is by the eternal spirit that Jesus offered up himself. In other words, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus lived out perfect obedience on this earth that ended in him going to the cross and dying for our sins, or culminated in him going to the cross and dying for our sins. So the Holy Spirit is called the eternal spirit. Again, only God's eternal. That means no beginning, no ending. Only God has that attribute of eternality. And and then... He has the attribute of inspiration. Inspiration. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Love this passage. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by who? By God. Now, hold that thought. And turn over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 
And I wish I had time to deal with this passage because I just I love Second Peter chapter one, but I'm just going I'm going to go faster. Um, he's speaking here of the the surety, the, the sure foundation of the Bible. He even says here, "Hey, listen, Peter's talking. Listen, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw him, touched him, I was with him." Heard the voice from heaven, but he says, we have a more sure word. Even more sure than my experience. You know, experiences can be forgotten. Experiences can be misinterpreted. And so Peter's saying, that experience was awesome. But my trust is not in the experience I had on the mount. I have a more sure word to build my life upon. And that sure foundation is the Word of God. So he's talking there about the Word of God. He says, we have the, verse 19, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I've heard people say through the years, I don't believe the Bible. It's just written by men. It's just men's thoughts. It's just a bunch of humans writing down religious stuff. And Peter says, no, no, no. The Bible is not a random collection of human thoughts. Look what he says next. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from who? God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all scriptures inspired by God, breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit is the one that's carrying these, these authors along as they write. So I, I, I believe the Bible teaches the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures, which means that, that uh, God takes human instruments, different backgrounds, different vocabularies, different, uh, uh, different personalities. He takes different authors, and He, by His Spirit, breathes through them as they write down the words that we call the Bible. So as they are writing down, they are writing down exactly what God wants them to write down. Therefore, every word is important, and, and the Bible is without error. And so the, the Holy Spirit is involved in this process of breathing out the Scriptures through human instrumentality. And I think it's a, a, a really incredible thought. Uh, I heard this illustration recently from uh, Adrian Rogers. He did it at his church uh, years ago. And um, I thought it was really, really helpful. He, he talked about the, the, the one spirit breathing through different authors. And so you read Paul, and his vocabulary is different than Peter's vocabulary. But the same spirit is breathing through those two different authors. So he brought up one of his musicians on the stage. And he had him pick up a trumpet. And the musician blew a loud note on the trumpet. Then he put down the trumpet, and he picked up a trombone. And he blew a note on the trombone. And Adrian Rogers said, did those two sound differently? And everybody was like, well, yeah, a trumpet sounds different than a trombone. And he said, but whose breath was blowing through both of those instruments? The same person, breathing through different instruments. So it sounded different, but it was coming from the same author, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. I thought that was really helpful. So, the Holy Spirit is God. He has divine attributes. Secondly, He is called God. I mean, the Bible just calls Him God. So that, that's helpful, right? To understand that He is divine. Look over in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is really a sad, tragic passage. 
It's a passage about Ananias and Sapphira. It starts back in chapter 4 when a man named Barnabas, who was a very encouraging man, sold some property and gave all the proceeds from the property to the church and was a great blessing to the church. He was able to help others through his gift. So Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife, they say, boy, boy, uh, people were patting Barnabas on the back and... uh, that was pretty cool and pretty impressive, and I think we want to we wanna give some money too, uh, so maybe we can get some of the same accolades Barnabas over there is getting. And so they sell some property, and instead of giving it all to the church, they give a portion to the church, but act like they're giving it all. Now, the sin was not in them giving a portion to the church. The sin was in them being hypocrites, acting like they were giving it all. And so... It says there in chapter 5, a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold his property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back himself some of the proceeds and brought it only a part of it and laid it at the the apostles' feet. But Ananias, uh, Ananias, uh, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit. And now look down at the end of verse 4. You have not lied to man, but to God. So again, you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God himself. He's called God. And then Ananias' fire struck dead uh, there, and it got everybody's attention. And you think, well, that's, boy, man, the Lord wasn't playing, was he? Well, this was, this was early on in the formation of the New Testament church. And I think the Lord was guarding them against that inner corruption, that hypocrisy springing up to say, hey, hypocrisy is a big deal. It'll ruin your church. And so he wanted to put forth a very stark warning at the very beginning of this uh, church. So uh, that's why we have this passage. So he is called God also, 1 Corinthians 3. He is called God for 16 and 17. But here's another surefire way we know that the Holy Spirit is God. He shares the divine name with God the Father and Jesus Christ. Where? Great Commission. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now what's interesting about that verse is the, the, the word name is singular. So it speaks of one God in essence. But there are three persons who all possess the essence of Godness. Three persons of the Trinity, one of them being the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at that verse, it's very, very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. He shares the divine name. Now, that's kind of Holy Spirit 101. And before we get a little bit more detailed next week and talk about some of the ways the Spirit operates in our lives, uh, I want to answer this question, what difference does He make? What difference does He make? And uh, a lot of these points come from a book by David Jeremiah called God in You, which I highly recommend. It's a great book about the Holy Spirit, God in You. Uh, I've, I've Roughly used his points, kind of the main points, and uh, I changed them around a little bit. I added some stuff that I wanted to say differently. But, but that, that's where this, these basic thoughts come from. God in you by David Jeremiah. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? Well, number one, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty big deal, right? You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Um, John 3, John 3, Jesus is talking to uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him by night asking him, some questions. And in John 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom or cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's thinking uh, literally here about birth. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, the water speaks of natural birth or our, our physical birth. The Spirit speaks of our second birth, our spiritual birth, our, our, us being born again. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that's pretty clear. You cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot go to heaven unless you are born of the Spirit. I mean, that's Jesus talking pretty clear. So that speaks of the Holy Spirit making us brand new creatures at the moment we place our faith in Christ, having repented of our sins. At that moment... The Holy Spirit births us into the kingdom. We are born again. We are made brand new creatures in Christ. So you can't be saved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that. Titus 3 speaks of this as well. But you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was, when I was nine years of age, my preacher shared the gospel with me, my dining room table, and uh, the verse that God really used in that conversation was Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so right there at my table with my pastor, I, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life, come into my heart, and save me. Now right after that moment, I didn't say, you know, Pastor, it's so good that the Holy Spirit was involved in regenerating me at that moment and uh, making me into a brand new person based upon 2 Corinthians 5.17. And, I, you know, I, I didn't understand all that, Right. Uh, but now as I look back through the lenses of Scripture, thinking about that moment, I, I'm, I'm aware that when I place my faith in Christ, at that moment, the Spirit of God is the one who regenerated me, the one who made me new, the one who, who brought me into the kingdom. So you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Number two, you can't have assurance without the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 16. This is so hard for me because there's so many great passages here. And I'm just, we're looking at just one verse, jumping in and jumping out. And there's so much stuff I want to say, but we're going to go fast. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So one of the the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And by the way, at the moment of conversion, He comes into your life. He, he dwells in you. That's called the indwelling of the Spirit. We'll talk about more of that next week. But the Holy Spirit lives in you, and, and, and part of His ministry to you is to remind you, to assure you that you are a child of God and God is your Father. That's part of the work that He's doing in your life. You can't have assurance without the Holy Spirit. Number three, you can't become fruitful without the Holy Spirit. And I won't, I won't have you turn there. You're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Uh, that means that if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
you are allowing the Spirit to have His way in your life, more about that next week, come back next week, if you're allowing the Spirit to have His way in your life, then He will begin to bear fruit through your life. You don't have to try to be more loving. The Holy Spirit will produce love through you. You don't have to be more patient or try to be more patient. The Holy Spirit will produce patience through you. He's the one that gives you that fruit. He's the one that makes you fruitful. So without His work in your life, you're not going to be able to grow in those different areas and graces. Uh, kindness produced by the Spirit. And we could go on and on. You can't become fruitful without the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does it. Next, you can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14. Again, I'll just quickly uh, say this. That passage says that spiritual things are spiritually appraised, spiritually understood. And apart from the Spirit living in you, you will not understand and comprehend the Scriptures in their complete essence and application for your lives. Now, you can pick up a Bible, being a, a, an unbeliever, and you can read the grammar and the syntax and look at the vocabulary and, and, and put some words together, some sentences, and you can even articulate what it is saying. I mean, uh, our universities are full of liberal religious professors who can tell you things about the Bible, even though they don't believe the Bible, but they can tell you things about the Bible because they study it like a textbook. But apart from the Spirit, you'll never fully understand its import for your life, how it applies to your life, and, and, and the, 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 the deepest meaning of that text in relation to the greater context of Scripture and God's work in and through you. So you can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it's just words on a page. You may be able to articulate uh, what the words are saying, but there's no depth of understanding apart from the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, th there are times when you read the Bible as a believer and and, and tears stream down your, at your, your face as you grow in understanding, grow in knowledge of what it's saying because it has such impact for you and it means so much to you because the Holy Spirit is showing you what it means. And, and that is a wonderful experience. You can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. Next, you can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. You can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit. Why? Look over in Romans 8, verse 26. You should already be there. Romans 8, verse 26. I know I'm going fast. I know, I know, I know. You don't have to tell me I talk fast. I know that. All right. People tell me I talk fast like it's the first time I've ever thought of that. It's like, oh, thanks for that knowledge. All right. I know I talk fast. Romans 8, verse 26. I, oh, man. I'm trying to think if I should save this for next week. because there's. I'll do it real quick. All right. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's our weakness? Talk about prayer here. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. So what's our weakness in prayer? We don't always know what to pray about. We don't always know the right way to pray or the thing to, the thing to ask for in a certain situation. You ever gone through something really, really difficult? Or maybe seen someone else go through something just really, really just tragic. And, and, and you want to pray about it? But you have no idea what to say. Like, how do I even pray about this situation? What do I even ask for in this situation? I mean, even as we think about what's going on in Europe, I mean, I mean, there's some 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 definite particular ways we can pray, but it's challenging to know, you know, how, how to pray in the midst of a, a situation like that. So the Bible calls this 
this inability to know how to pray as we ought, weakness in prayer. And every one of us got it. We are weak. So we need some help. Who helps us to pray? Look what he says. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's some mystery here, okay? We're not going to fully understand what's going on here, but this is important for your prayer life. This means that the Spirit of God is operative as you pray. And in some way... Even if your prayer request misses the mark, God blesses the very fact that you're praying. And the Holy Spirit takes that request and makes it into request that it should be and presents it to the Father on your behalf. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? I don't understand how that all works, but... I think that's an amazing ministry of the Spirit. So even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, we feel our weakness in prayer. And I feel that all the time we can trust that even as we pray, the Holy Spirit, we can't hear it. It's groanings too deep for words. This is not audible. We can't hear the Spirit praying this. But, but in the spiritual realm, as we pray, the Holy Spirit is taking our prayers and lifting them like incense before the Father and presenting them in a right way before the Father. Listen to this quote. I love this quote from J.I. Packer. He says, God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he, listen to this. If he does not answer the prayer we made... He will answer the prayer we should have made. This is all anyone needs to know. That's what Jab Packer says. It's all you need to know. So, yes, we're weak. Yes, we are finite. Yes, we're limited in our understanding. And sometimes we don't even know how to pray. And even sometimes when we think we do know how to pray, we're not praying the right way. Right? I mean, even Garth Brooks said, thank God for unanswered prayer. Right? You know, I mean, sometimes we miss the mark with our prayers. But the Spirit's involved in the process. And y'all didn't laugh at my Garth Brooks joke. I thought that was funny. I thought, do you know who Garth Brooks is? Do you know what I mean? Okay, all right. Um, the Spirit is involved to take our prayers and, and lift them up to the Lord. He fixed our prayers on the way up. Did you have a question, Linda? The quote, God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. This is all anyone needs to know. That's J.I. Packer, great Biblical scholar. That's right. So the, 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 you can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. And he helps us. I'm grateful for that. Two more real quick. You can't serve God adequately without the Holy Spirit. Back to 1 Corinthians 12. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that distributes gifts to the body of Christ. And I love the, the metaphor, the picture of the church as the body of Christ. A body has different parts. Different parts have different functions. Every part uh, may not have equal prominence, but every part of the body has equal importance. Because if, if one part of the body, even if it's not a prominent part, if it's not functioning properly, the body is not operating at maximum health. And, and, and here's the deal. If you are a part of the body of Christ, God has given you a spiritual gift. And if you are not operating in that gift in the body of Christ, you are not... Helping the body live at optimal health. And, and often what we do in the body of Christ is we elevate 
um, prominent roles. We, we elevate things people see. So, like, when I'm there, up there preaching, you think, boy, that's, boy, I'm, I'm, you know, Pastor Wade, is, he's been given the gift of, of, you know, teaching or preaching or exhortation or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's different gifts, and we can talk about that at a different time. But, but he's exercised his gift, and I'm glad he's doing that. And that's very, very important for our church. Listen to me. You operating in your spiritual gift is just as important as me operating in my spiritual gift. Now, more people may see me doing it, but that's not the key. The key is you're a part of the body, and God wants you to operate in that spiritual gift. I mean, let's just, let's just say, hey, Sunday morning, it's Sunday morning. Daniel's up there singing. They're, they're singing praising the Lord. And, you know, it gets to the, the last song and it's time for me to preach after the last song. And I'm not in the room yet. And people are saying, where's Pastor Wade? And maybe he'll be here in a minute. And, and the song ends. The, the last note dies down. And the pulpit's just empty. And uh, I, I just decide not to show up that day and decide not to exercise, exercise my spiritual gift. And you think, what a shame. I mean, Pastor Wade is our pastor, he should be up there preaching, right? I mean, he just blew us off. Empty pulpit. Listen to me. You'd say that would really be harmful to our church on that Sunday. It is just as harmful when any individual in the body of Christ is not serving in their spiritual giftedness or trying to find their spiritual giftedness in the body of Christ. So me not showing up, blowing it off, it may be more visible. But if you decided to not show up and blow something off and not serve and not plug in and not try to, try to serve in the power of the Spirit somewhere in life of the church, it's just as harmful to the body of Christ. Maybe not as public, but it has the same effect. And so uh, we can't serve God adequately, adequately without the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about spiritual gifts next week. We'll talk more about how, or maybe two weeks, we'll talk about how you uh, find your spiritual gift, how you discern your spiritual gift, and what your spiritual gift might be. So if you're interested in that, then come back next week, or maybe the next week. One, one of the next two weeks, we'll talk about spiritual gifts. If we get to it next week, we'll talk about it next week. So w- want you to be here for that. We'll talk about spiritual gift inventories and all of that, but, but be here uh, because I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that if you are a Christian, you've been placed in the body of Christ, and you have been given a spiritual gift. All right. Quick preview. The best way to find your spiritual gift is just do something. Just start doing something and God will get you where he wants you to get you. But I don't, I, I don't believe God will show you your spiritual gift if you're not serving. If you're just going to not do anything, I mean, why would God bend your heart towards your spiritual gift, right? But that's another sermon for another day. Okay. Last. You can't bear witness powerfully without the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, and I think this is really, really interesting. He's, he's about to ascend back to heaven. He's with his disciples. It's, it's, uh, they're getting close to the Feast of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit would fall on the church. They'd be, they'd be baptized in the Spirit um, on that day. But Jesus says, wait, wait. He tells them, don't start preaching yet. He says, wait for the promise from on high. Wait for the promise of the Father. And he says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth after, listen, the Spirit has come upon you. 
And so their effectiveness in proclaiming the gospel was directly related to the power of the Spirit on and in their lives. In other words, we cannot be effective witnesses for Jesus apart from the power of the Spirit. If we try to do it in our own strength, we will fall flat on our faces. So we need to have the, let the Spirit have His way in our life. And we'll talk about what that looks like next week. So, who's the Holy Spirit? He's a person. He's God. What difference does it make? Salvation, assurance, fruitfulness, uh, illumination, prayer, service, witnessing. I would say the Holy Spirit makes a huge difference in our day-to-day Christian experience. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time. And we're grateful, Lord, for um, your word and how it, how it lights up our path. And God, I pray that we would take what we've learned tonight about the Holy Spirit and, 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 and uh, Lord, meditate on it, think about it, and think about, Lord, ways that these verses that we've studied tonight apply to our lives and should change our, our perspective on you and on Christian living. And we'll thank and praise you for that grace. We love you and praise you, and we offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.